Welcome to Rise and Grind, the podcast where the best entrepreneurs, business experts, and top performers provide you with the inspiration and actionable tips that you need to be successful and live the life you want and deserve. Our goal is to become the next pods. Two million in revenue. Make your idols your rivals. And now, your host, Antonio DeMota. Hello, hello, everybody. Antonio Damota here. Thank you so much for joining me yet in another episode of Rising Grind podcast. I'm super, super stoked today to have Lucas Judici, um, who is the CEO and founder of Midstage Ventures. And Midstage Ventures is a global business accelerator based in LA and Brazil, and they have partners in Europe as well. Lucas, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, that's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's yeah. great, Lucas. It's a, it's a great honor. Uh, do you want to add something to your intro? Um, well, yeah, that's Midsage Ventures. Um, I just like to, let's say, label Midsage Ventures as a venture builder, mm-hmm. um, which is um, a little bit more, a little bit more complex, let's say, than a, than an accelerator. Um, so, as uh, you know, mid, um, venture builder stands for a company that builds uh, ventures since day one, since ideation, mm-hmm. up to you know, uh, eighteen, twenty-four, thirty-six months ahead. So it isn't only four to six months acceleration process, but it is uh, way more a you know a complex uh, program where mm-hmm. you build companies. Uh, from you know from the beginning up to any any exit hopefully an exit within 18 months so yeah that's that's mid-stage ventures we are in brazil mm-hmm. we do have some partners in europe um, and we are here in la as well uh, we've done 21 investments so far mm-hmm. um, out of those i would say 10 11 are still alive which I would say is a good rate as well. It's a good number because usually um, startup companies, they die in the first year of operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least in Brazil, our all of our companies now, uh, they are Brazilian. So at least in Brazil, 90% of the companies, they die in the first year. So uh, we are doing pretty great so far. And I'm excited to be um, here in the U.S., bringing those companies to the U.S., you know, from Brazil to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And hopefully... Uh, within, I don't know, maybe one, two years will be uh, kind of full operation in Europe as well. So far, we have only, um, you know, few partners in Europe, but we're taking one Brazilian company to Europe uh, through this partner. So we are still beginning in Europe. That's awesome. So before we, we dig in in, in, in uh, mid-stage ventures, how did you start and, and what are your plans for the future? Can you give us a little bit of your background? What were you doing before starting mid-stage ventures? Okay, so um, I'm a lawyer. Um, I don't practice anymore because, um, you know, I'm kind of full-time in, uh, into mid-stage ventures. Uh, but I've been a lawyer since, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, I was doing corporate law, mm-hmm. uh, business law, and then I came to the U.S. Actually, before coming to the U.S., I was doing M&A as well. So I was approaching not only doing the business side, sorry, the, the, the legal side of the M&A, mergers and acquisitions, but I was also doing, uh, you know, the connection. I was the liaison. I was the, you know, the the guy that would find the investors and, and bring those investors to, to, to companies in my city, which is Vitória in Brazil. Um, so I was doing a lot of M&A, but M&A takes a long time. You know, you discuss like for six months, for 12 months, and then maybe you're going to do any deal. So um, 
and at the same time that I was working as a lawyer with my law office, with my partner, we had at the time more or less 15 employees, 15 lawyers. Um, I had I had the chance that was in 2011, 2012. I had a chance to find investors for a friend of mine that had a you know just an idea that had a like a startup company. Uh, we didn't call it startup company at that time. It was just an idea in a piece of paper, and I was able to find money for him, and it was really easy. Um, you know, really fast. Actually, it wasn't easy, but it was really fast, and that gave me the impression that well, whoa, I'm taking like one two years to close a deal on on you know doing M and A for middle market companies, um, and this startup company I just found you know 1.2 million dollars. Uh, you know, really, you know, fast, like one or two weeks. So maybe I should pay attention to this market as well, because even though it is really new, maybe I should pay attention for this. And that's how I created Midstage Ventures. And and actually, the name Midstage Ventures come from comes from from the time that I was doing middle market, you know, M and A with middle market. Uh, but then under the same umbrella, I was like, okay, as I'm working with those startup companies, I don't need to open a third company. Being the, the law office, the first company, mid-stage, the second company, I w- wouldn't make sense to open a third company to to handle the, the startup companies, the, the startup investment. So basically, uh, all those startup companies, they were uh, under mid-stage ventures umbrella. Uh, and then as the time uh, passed, um, we saw that it was a really interesting um market to work more with startup companies and it was so exciting that not only i found the investment for those companies for those two companies in the beginning but also i invested my money on those companies as well uh and that's how i I really started to invest in in early stage companies um at the same time that that i was um kind of slowing down all the m&a Mm-hmm. Uh, because as I said, it was too long, but also because I was approved um, to, to sit for the master's uh, at business law here in LA at USC, mm-hmm. University of Southern California. And then was just a leap, you know, to go from the legal side into the, you know, business side, focused only on the business side, investing in those companies, uh, investing not only with money, but also with all the, you know, mentorship and, and business uh, services and a lot of things. Anyways, you know, I kind of came from, from the legal side into the business side, um, I would say seamless, seamlessly, you know, um, as a part of my, my, my job as a M&A lawyer. That's awesome. And did you do everything on your own? Because this is a, you know, this is a quite complex project, I guess, to, to start a, a venture builder or an accelerator. Did you have any co-founders when you started mid-stage? Uh, not really, actually. Um, to be honest, I had my, 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 my co-founder, which was the same partner um, at the law office. Um, but then as we dis- as actually I decided to, to, to stop lawyering, um, I called him and said, okay, um, I'm going to stay in the U.S. Um, to open mid-stage ventures here in the U.S. And we, I, I think we should split the partnership. And then so he bought my, 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 you know, my shares on, on the, um, on the law office. And then I bought his share, his shares for the, on, on mid-stage ventures. And then since then I was, uh, the sole partner. Mm-hmm. But now we have 10 people working full time at mid-stage ventures. Uh, but still, I'm the only partner at Midstage Ventures. Actually, I have a second partner now, partner, uh, which is um, an employee that that has been working with me since ever. Um, I don't know, maybe ten years so far. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he deserved to be a partner as well. So now I have him as a partner. His All name right. is Fernando. Yeah. Fernando, that's awesome. And Lucas, so um, I wanted to ask you, uh, how much money did you did you use to start mid stage? Um, how does it work if somebody you know who is listening to the show right now, you know, also has the idea of starting a venture builder or an accelerator? How much money do you need? How did you raise that capital? Did you use your own money, or you you knew a lot of investors they, that gave you money to be able to start investing in companies? No. It was only me, you know, putting money into it. it was all on money. Um, I got my money from the office and then I invested in mid-state ventures. Um, you know, for someone to start a venture builder, um, this person has to think, you know, 10 times if it is the right move because um, it isn't cheap. Um, it is very expensive. And, and you know, the return takes a long time, takes a lot of years because uh, imagine that you're not only creating your company, you know, the venture builder, but also you are helping early stage companies to succeed. And those early stage companies, they they will pay out maybe within two, three, four years. So it is a long shot, you know, it is really um, profitable. It can be really profitable. You can make millions and millions in, in three, four, five years. But you have to, you know, you have to be able to afford um, three, maybe three, maybe four years without making any dollar, you know, as a payment or whatever it is. So, of course, sometimes you can you can invest in a really good company that within six months to 12 months will um, allow you to sell your shares and then make a lot of money. But it isn't it isn't. Um, you know, common. Usually you need maybe, you know, at minimum three years to start thinking of cashing out any any kind of money from those companies. So either you have to find money from investors and then you manage their money mm-hmm. or you have to, to, you know, to be able to pay for all the expenses yourself. And if you if you have to find money from someone else, you have to prove them that you are able to do whatever you're saying that you're going to do. Right. It is the same uh, for VCs as well. So venture capitalists, they will say, okay, uh, investors, give me your money. I'm going to manage. I'm going to take 20% out of this as a management fee. And then I want to give you back, I don't know, 3x, 4x, 5x within six years. And then those uh, GP, those general partners, they have to, you know, to be able to to convince, let's say, you know, all these investors that, uh, they'll be able to to pay 5x their money and it's the same with venture builder as well if you don't have if you don't have any any track record you have to be able to convince someone that you'll be able to you know to pay them back after x years or whatever you know time it is gotcha so you never raise capital from external investors you always put your own money uh, into yes. okay, that's awesome. And what what kind of deal do you offer to to a company that applies to to be a part of uh, to be a company of mid stage ventures? Is is it always the same thing? Uh, you know, a certain amount of money per a certain amount of equity, or it can vary? No, it it really varies from company to company. Um, in the beginning, um, let's say 2013, I was investing money directly, like in like any angel investor, um, and I would wait to see if I would make any money. And and I lost a lot of money doing this. And then I pivot into um, a model where I would invest 75,000, right? Mm-hmm. But I would be the one saying, okay, you can spend this money 
in this comp in this uh, contractor or maybe with these services i would not well, sorry i would not i would not allow uh, those invested companies to use the $75,000 to pay uh, salaries mm-hmm. um, and all that $75,000 they would be used to pay services that the company needed like oh i need to do a marketing strategy plan okay you can use X thousand dollars out of those $75,000 to pay this. Mm-hmm. I need to hire lawyers. Okay, you're going to use X thousand dollars to hire lawyers. So I was kind of controlling the use of the money. And the reason that I was doing this was that um, when I was angel investing, like, you know, myself giving them money, they would spend money with uh, stupidity. So um, I didn't want to have those entrepreneurs using the money, you know, in, in wrong things. So that's that's why I decided that I would, um, control the use of the money. But then after five or six investments doing this, I realized that I was somehow um, leaving, you know, kind of stuck, you know, the situation for the entrepreneur because they wanted to, to speed up um, hiring whatever services they wanted to hire. And I was the one, you know, holding them back saying, okay, no, let me analyze this, let me analyze that. So I realized that wasn't the best way to do it. But also I realized that if if I were able to provide all those services for those companies, you know, the same services that the $75,000 was being used to, uh, I would be able to, um, let's say, to to invest even more money in those companies providing the same services but also on other services that they needed so basically what i'm trying to say is that i hired uh, many contractors mm-hmm. as employees of mid-stage ventures and that's our business model now so instead of giving them seventy-five thousand dollars, we invest them up to three thousand uh sorry three hundred thousand um, dollars in services on them with 13 different services legal marketing pr uh, business, financials, structure, uh, internationalization, uh, accounting, um, and you name it, 13 different services, design, development. Um, and that services, they'll be used for 18 months. So, the, the, you know, the, all, the whole process is 18 months. And then as we get to the month eight, we analyze if they were able to meet all the, all the milestones that we set for month six. And if they are if they are reaching, you know, all the KPIs that uh, points to the milestones of month 12. So if they are able to if they were able actually to meet all the milestones from month six and if they are going OK to the milestones 12 and then we 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 we, we have to invest more fifty thousand dollars in cash for them. You know, oh. so basically we have a dual phase, two mm-hmm. stages being the first stage um services for equity and then the second stage if they reach all the the okrs all the milestones and then we give money for them and then those money this money they can use to pay salaries they can use to pay media but also this money comes with a second investment you know from someone else so let's say if we ought to invest fifty thousand dollars we're going to find $500,000 for them in the market, actually $450,000 in the market. And we will pay the $50,000 extra, uh, you know, plus just to, to be, just to be part of the investment. So basically that's a dual phase. And, and the reason for that is, is, is that um, we invest in really early stage companies. So those companies, they are sometimes ideation, sometimes developing anything. 
something and it doesn't make sense to invest cash on them to you know to pay sell at least in our opinion okay that's our investment um thesis uh statement but basically if they are you know developing or if they are still on ideation it doesn't make sense to pay salary for them just to to play as an entrepreneur if they believe in their dreams if they, they if they are right that they, they they have to spend their life doing that business uh why not you know do it um the way they can you know without salary but really really um you know trying to to find all the you know to 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 overcome all the obstacles that they find in between and whatever we are able to do like providing all the the, the business services all the expertise all the mentorship whatever they need we will be there to provide them but not necessarily uh salary up to the moment that they prove that they were able to meet all the you know the milestones that they proved they were uh succeeding somehow and then we give them money to to pay for all the expenses they 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 need all right that's awesome and uh, how much equity do you ask for then at the very beginning is, is really go ahead yeah it really depends on the company again and uh but i would say it goes from 10% to 25% so the closer they are um of you know actually operating the company and making you know revenues the closer will be to 10% um yeah and then the closest they are to ideation the closest will be for you know 25%. All right that that's that's awesome. And do you offer also co-working space? I mean is this uh, you know because you have a couple you have a couple of um of offices is this a co-working space as well where they can work from or they or they are a bit sparse all over Brazil and and LA? Yeah, we have we have space here in LA uh in downtown LA we have kind of half a floor in downtown LA which is really nice space and in Brazil we have a house like two two uh, story house uh where we house all the entrepreneurs um but even though we provide you know the space uh we also have companies all over Brazil that they don't necessarily need space right sure. so um we really work um either one on one you know in person or sometimes we work um you know over Skype there is one company of ours uh the name is Supercooler which is a gadget that chills beer in 2 minutes it's really awesome um i've i've been with them since what since June July 2014 and the first time that i met them in person was in June 2015 uh and i've seen them three times in my life and they are one of our best companies they are making you know millions a year um and still you know it isn't it isn't a bad thing to be um, you know far away the, the problem would be bad communication or a lack of communication but so long you are organized you know to talk to people uh overseas and then use Skype WhatsApp and and Slack or whatever you know uh virtual communication you have and then it goes really fine that's true yeah remotely you can do everything nowadays and so uh what was your biggest struggle at the beginning and and how did you solve it i i like to ask this question all the time wow um many i'd say you know um, at first prove to the market that our business model was something interesting because mid-stage ventures uh business model is different um even even you know the common even even from you know different venture builders our business model is a little bit different because um our mindset even though we are investors our mindset with entrepreneurs is like a co-founder and we have a lot of 
we have a lot of uh, steps to go through, uh, and those steps will make um, will help us achieve our main milestones, which is make that company worth 10 times within 18 months. Um, and that is a business model. Um, you know, the way that we work is very different from, from other companies. So that I would say was our first struggle, you know, to prove the market that we were, um, you know, able to, to make it right, to make it happen. Um, and then the second struggle as well was to, in the beginning, when you don't have name, you don't have, uh, goodwill, you don't have, you know, a lot of partners, but you, you do need to, to get clients. You do need to, uh, I mean, we, we don't have clients. We have, you know, invested companies, but all the, let's, let's compare with the first investments as a first client. Uh, it's always tough, you know, you have to, to put together a nice, you know, presentation of a company. You have to spend a lot of money trying to organize the space, trying to, you know, hiring people. Uh, so after you do it, you, you, you are actually able to, to offer services or to offer investment to anyone. Um, yeah, but that, that leads, yeah, exactly. That leads me, leads me to the next question, which is how did you get your 10 first sales? In this case, you know, it's not really sales, but how did you get your 10 first uh, companies that you invested in? How did you find these 10 startups? Yeah, so um, in the beginning, I decided that I needed to expose mid-stage ventures um, in the media, let's say. So we were doing some of, you know, a little bit of PR. Um, I was here in, in, in LA. I was invited to speak in a couple of conferences, different conferences as well. Um, I helped and actually I organized an event called Venture in LA, uh, which in this year is going to its third edition. Uh, so I was kind of, you know, putting myself into situa in situations that would give me some, some spotlight, let's say. So people would say, oh, okay, well, mid-stage ventures, what is this? What do you do? And, and those kind of things. So, um, I was, you know, just placing mid-stage where we needed to be. And then we did some partnerships as well, uh, with potential, um, deal flow, uh, you know, uh, partners. Uh, let's say VCs and also um, startup leaders, uh, you know, community, um, startup community, you know, those liaisons, let's say. Um, and then that was one. So we were waiting for people to come to us uh, as we were um, highlighted in media. Uh, and then the second strategy was we needed to actively go and find companies. So uh, we saw a lot of companies online. We analyzed uh, those companies online and then we tried to talk to them and then we reached out to them and say, okay, we are mid-stage ventures. That's what we do. That's how we do. And then we're going to do this and that. Uh, and then kind of we were hunting awesome investments to be made. So basically those two ways and nowadays we have just you know our form on the website mm -hmm. and people just pull up our website and then fill up the form uh, and then we have like a screening process nowadays uh, for people involved on the screening process and it is really you know straightforward you submit your application and then we analyze and then we have five items that we we, we look 
when analyzing the company. And then if we decided that we want to invest in that company, we send them an email saying, okay, we did like you. We want to talk more with you. And then it goes all through Skype. And then we, we talk to the companies until we decide if we want to invest in them or not. All right. That's awesome. So you moved from looking, uh, looking for uh, hot companies from hot companies to look for you. Um, yes, uh, but also we keep looking for, you know, awesome companies as well. So from time to time, we, we try to research the market and see whoever has a really nice idea, but it isn't prepared to, you know, to deploy the idea or to, you know, to, to grow, uh, from time to time we do. Uh, go after companies as well but we also like referrals so let's say we have a couple of partners and they call us and say okay lucas there is this company you have to talk to them because they are this they're that so we do like referrals as well uh those are let's say the three um channels that nowadays we are um you know analyzing assessing companies awesome i love that so um i wanted to ask you how is the startup scene in brazil and how does it differ from the startup scene in America? Uh, that's my first question. And the second question would be, um, you seem to have a very diverse portfolio. Is there something that you do not invest in or is there something that you are particularly keen on investing in? Uh, well, the, about the first question, um, I think the, the Brazilian um, startup ecosystem is kind of growing um and it is getting every day more mature let's say um the brazilian mentality goes with the u.s mentality so whatever is happening in the u.s brazilians tend to just replicate the model and try to do there and it, it's a problem to be honest because we kind of we, we we lose our our identity you know we're just copying whatever is doing uh people are doing here in the u.s um but also after you after you you surf let's say the first wave you know everybody copying whatever is cool and 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 being like it is kind of hype you know to be um entrepreneur this kind of thing but after the first wave and then whoever is doing good things whoever is serious uh they'll stay in the market and then those serious people you know those people there that know what they're doing not only copying you know uh but actually they are leaving that they're they, they they understand whatever they are doing and then those people will shape the brazilian mentality uh, the brazilian startup mentality into whatever it has to be in brazil which again it's different from 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 the us for example uh, in brazil we don't have um you know education uh entrepreneurial education since early you know age for mm -hmm. example my daughter the other day my daughter came came home she was six at the time now she's eight but she was six and she said okay daddy that's my homework today i have to research uh with my family and my neighbors uh what is the best fruit they like i, I mean it's a marketing research you know totally. that she was that she was doing at six <laughs> uh, as a homework so we don't have this in brazil in brazil like oh go to your, your home do your homework doing i don't know math or portuguese or you know biology whatever so we don't have this this entrepreneurial uh, education since early ages and also um in brazil we don't have you know as much money as uh, we have here in the u.s so a company after being you know in market for six months either they need money from investors or they need money from clients. And we don't have a lot of clients to pay for those um, services because 
usually especially for online products brazilians they don't tend to pay for online products they don't like to pay for online products uh, but also we don't have investors to invest in those companies because investors in brazil they are looking for real estate and that's it so it isn't easy to find money but here in the us it is way easier to you know oh i have this idea uh, i do need money to do this and that and a lot of people will you know they are more risk takers let's say but in brazil we don't have this so uh, but but it's changing, you know, it's a little bit, it's changing, you know, maybe slowly, but changing. And we, you can see now in Brazil, a lot of angel investors that like uh, to, you know, to, you know, there are somehow risk takers as well. You see a lot of people coming to the US and then going back to Brazil and then pivoting whatever mindset they learn here in the US into a Brazilian mindset. And then they are doing a lot of things. And also we have a couple of, not many, but a couple of Brazilian companies that are, uh, let's say uh, finishing the financial life cycle life cycle of a uh, startup ecosystem, which is you create your company, you succeed, you sell your company, and then you get the money that you got from your from from you know from the M and A, and then from the from the sales, and then you invest that money into a new company. You work as a mentor, and then that that second that second company will grow again. So uh, thinking of a cycle, you know where you grow, and then you share the knowledge, and where you give back, and then you make the cycle. Uh, start again, you know, and and that's happening now in Brazil. We have a couple of companies that people were able to sell, and now they are they understand, you know, the mentality of growing a company since the beginning and since you know, a, a, with innovation, with you know this this startup mentality, and now they are selling again. So basically, I mean, summarize to sum up, I think um, the Brazilian reality reality is happening. You know, is you know the ecosystem is growing. Um, We've grown a lot since we've grown a lot since 2013, 2014 up to 2016, and um, I think good things are to come. Um, if you get a lot of international um, uh, media outlets, you see a lot of people talking about okay, what is happening in Brazil? Brazil is growing. Brazil is growing. Um, one of the biggest companies now they they, they got a lot of prize from international. Um, uh, critics was Nubank, which is a fintech company in Brazil. Um, and to be honest, it's been, I don't know, maybe two, three years. People are saying, okay, the next Facebook will come from Brazil. Not necessarily uh, social media, but, um, you know, but uh, the next billion company, billion dollar company will come from Brazil. And I think that's happening. But still, we are maturing the, the, the ecosystem. So that's your first question. Then the second com question is, um, um, I forgot. <laughs> Where's uh, the second? Yeah, question? yeah, yeah. I'm gonna ask you that in a second, but actually, because of your answer, I want to ask you a couple of more questions uh, uh, regarding Brazil, and then we can jump to that to that question. Um, do do you guys have any app like like let's say the the equivalent to Silicon Valley, for example? Because you say that you are in Vitoria. Um, I, I'm uh, you know I've never been there, but I, I'm guessing it's not a huge city like uh, São Paulo or something like that. Do, do you do you guys have any app or like? You can find entrepreneurs all over the place. Um, yeah, I think Brazil is really spread out. You know, we don't have um, one Silicon Valley per se, you know, like 
um, I don't know. You know, as I as as I was saying, Brazil likes to copy whatever is happening in the U.S. So in Brazil, we have a lot of valley something. So we have <laughs> San Pedro Valley. We have um, I don't know Capivara Valley. You have you know you have a lot of small um, ecosystems um, in within one city only. You know, really small space like one neighborhood, and they call themselves a valley. Even though they're not a valley, you know, they just call it because whatever, you know, is happening in the U.S., they want to they wanna call it as well. And um, so we have a lot of, you know, small groups uh, trying to do things, but really spread out. We don't have, um, I cannot say we have a really big uh, Silicon Valley like um, space in Brazil. We have some big spaces like Sao Paulo. Everything happens in Sao Paulo. Uh, Rio de Janeiro is kind of growing this now. We have one called San Pedro Valley, which is uh, in Minas Gerais, Belo Horizonte. Um, and we, we can see a lot of companies, good companies from uh, Silicon, uh, from San Pedro Valley. But again, uh, as I was saying, uh, we have a lot of small groups, but I, I wouldn't say we have one big, uh, um, you know, Silicon Valley like uh, region in Brazil. We have Sao Paulo, which is huge. Rio de Janeiro is kind of growing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have San Pedro. We have Belo Horizonte, as I said. We have Curitiba. We have Florianópolis. Um, so we have some, you know, some spaces growing, but they don't talk to each other. You know, they are kind of spread out, mm-hmm. and then they're trying to to be the next good thing in the market. So gotcha. um, yeah, I think one one one. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't think we have a Silicon Valley like. Gotcha, and I wanted uh, to ask you. Got it, got it. Uh, I wanted to ask you as well uh, because I think Brazil is a very interesting country. It's it's massive, and it's it's very populated as well. I think it's over 200 million people, 220 million people. That makes it a, a huge market. Um, you said that normally Brazilians do not like to pay for online products. Uh, uh, well, I think you know it's. I think in a, in a lot of countries that ha- that happens, um, but I think you know what do you consider Brazil to be a good market for? For example, if an American company wants to move into Brazil or if an European company wants to move in in Brazil, what sectors, what sectors do you think those, those foreign companies have, have a chance to, to penetrate the Brazilian market? Well, um, I have a belief, let's say, that Brazilians, they tend to like, they, they are conservative, conservatives, you know, to some extent, because... Um, like the investors, they like to invest in conservative things, um, like, you know, real estate and the consumer as well. They like to consume whatever, whatever they can see, touch, feel and break. I don't know, you know, so consumer products, that's my consumer products, basically. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That, that's my opinion. So I would say that, um, in Brazil, um, you can see a lot of companies, a lot of um, tech companies growing, uh, but I would guess that it is a um, it isn't a long shot for you know the whole country. I would say that few companies they'll get a long shot for you know tech 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 products, but I would say that the long shot will come in a massive way for IoT, you know, because uh, that's the way to connect. The- a modernity, let's say, you know, the more modern um, style, you know, the innovation, the technology with the Brazilian mindset, which which is more product guided. So I would say that uh, IoT will be um, the, the next big 
thing in Brazil. Maybe VR, which has, you know, somehow that IoT over there. Maybe uh, AR as well. Uh, so I don't know. I would. Th that's my bet. You know, that's my guess, which is uh, connecting connecting the technology, the pure technology, with products, and that's that's what I believe uh, in Brazil. That's that's one of the reasons that we are uh, one of the few venture builder uh, or accelerator in Brazil that ta that takes uh, hardware products. All right, that's awesome. So with that in mind, we go back to the, that second question that I has asked you before that, uh, when I had a look at your website, you seem to have a, a very diverse portfolio. Is there something that you are not interested in that you say, okay, I'm going to reject you straight away because I don't know, you work in food or, or something else. And is there something that uh, keeps you, uh, particularly interested when somebody pitches you? Yeah, I mean, we are pretty, pretty agnostic. You know, we are not only into one market or the other market. We, we would analyze, you know, any, any kind of market. Uh, but we do have our, our preferences, let's say. Uh, but uh, as, as like a cliche, uh, um, we like to invest in people, right? Uh, I know that's a cliche, but, but, but that's really true because um, you have to see the potential in the market. You have to see that the company is uh, the idea or the product uh, is a really nice uh, idea or product. But really, he'll take the company, you know, to success is the, are the people. So the entrepreneur. So, uh, we really analyze the entrepreneur if they are able to, to, you know, to move over, to move on and, 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 and succeed. Uh, but also our investment statement, it goes for basically a early stage company, early stage, um, project. It can be on a stage where they are generating revenue but really you know like small revenues uh but ideally we want to before that we want to you know maybe uh, ideation to validation um and then so the stage of the company we are also looking for a company that can be uh, that we can take global right we can make it inter international mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at companies that and that's our financial standpoint we're looking at companies that we believe that we can make it worth 10 times more within 18 months mm -hmm. okay we i used to say that it is easier to go from step 1 to step 10 than going from step 10 to step 100 so even though it is 10x in both it is way easier to go from ideation to you know some revenues some good revenues and that will uh, make the company worth 10x from the day they begin uh they begin at mid stage until the day we exit from them so um internationalization um the stage of the company the ability to grow 10x within 18 months and then uh the entrepreneur as well and, and basically we have some other some other um the reasons that we want to invest, you know, the reason that we should invest or not. Uh, but basically, I would say that, that, that that's it in a, in, a, in a nutshell. All right. That's awesome. And so um, um, do you invest in single founders, for example? And could you share with us like three red flags uh, when somebody pitches you? Uh, you know, what, what's the perfect pitch for you, let's say? Well, uh, single founders, yes, we've done it uh, before. Um, one of the services that we provide within those 13 services is what I call casting, you know, like a director of a, of a movie kind of casts 
and all the actors, we, we help them cast as well the the co-founder so sometimes we we have company with one single founder and then we help them to to find the co-founder um we have one or two companies that are still single founder um but now they have employees that takes you know does all the things so um it isn't it isn't you know it isn't a red flag per se but we do analyze if that single founder will be able to to move on and 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 do whatever he's able to he has to do and then as for the the red flags um i don't know i would say you know um if they you know the way they pitch if they oversell confidence uh sometimes it isn't the best you know the best thing for us because um we help them to grow right we have that we help them we provide services we provide mentorship we provide a lot of things and if you see that the person's not coachable, um, our our business model will not fit, you know, into that company. Because um, of course we we, we want entrepreneurs that uh, they know what they are doing, but they are young entrepreneurs. They are they they are doing you know really young companies, so uh, they have to be coached uh, at some level, you know. So if the, the the person oversell it, if if it is overconfident, and then maybe it will be red flag for us. Um, another red flag as well is when the person has no idea of the market that they are trying to to achieve. Um, you know, usually people pitch like, oh, and now our market is a one billion market, and I want only one percent of that market, and that's that's nah, that's a no, and you know because. It isn't. I mean, you can you can you can achieve one percent of the market. You can aim aim for, and you can you can I don't know. You can um, have in mind that you want that one percent of the market. But the most important thing is you have to explain how you're gonna get there. You know how many people you're gonna need. How many you know what are your marketing strategies? What is your you know your uh, plan A or plan B? So it isn't only saying okay. That's a market, and I want a one percent. But how are we gonna get to that one percent? So then, then you ask for three red flags. So what is the next one? I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe I don't know. That's a tough one. I mean, all right. But the, you know, these two um, red flags are you know are massive, right? I mean, as, <laughs> as soon as you see this, you you basically you just say you get away from 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 this this possibility um I, I wanted to ask you lucas i wanted to ask you um you know everybody you know thinks venture capital and accelerators and venture builders are, are pretty cool because they they are pretty cool but you said that that you know to make money of course it's it's difficult it takes time you know it takes two three four years and uh, you know how do you do to to keep afloat basically um you said that you have invested in some successful companies that they have good revenue um, how does it work? I mean, you have a lot of expenses because you have a lot of employees. Can you somehow, you know, take a portion of those revenues from the company before they 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 have an exit? Uh, or did you have already any any exit that gave you a, a lot of cash? Uh, can you just walk us through how that that process works? For business model, we always ask for profit share and equity as well. So basically, we have a profit they have, and then they are to distribute, and then we have. You know our our profit share as well, and that helps you know to pay the bill. Um, and Midstage Ventures is kind of a new company as well. We are in the market with this business model since uh, let's say June 2014. So we are two year old now, 
and we are not able to have a, a successful exit so far, mm-hmm. uh, nor we wanted to have because, you know, all the companies that we have so far, they are still growing. So doesn't uh, doesn't make sense for us now to sell uh, one or two companies because they have a lot of space to grow. And and when I say a lot of space, I really mean, mean a lot of space because, for example, there is one company that has uh, around 100,000 um, uh, users that they have a really nice valuation. Uh, we can sell it really well, but we don't want to do it because um, all that 100,000 um, users, they were acquired uh, for, you know, I don't know, maybe spend, you know, really nothing in marketing. So we prefer to get a small investment for that company and then get to 500,000 or maybe 1 million users. And then we think about, okay, now we should exit the company. Uh, and then all the other companies that are selling products, we have somehow a good profit share as well. So it doesn't make sense to sell now because it is either a entry product that we are just, you know, willing uh, or, um, waiting to get to the second product so really depends from company to company so uh basically to your question it is either profit share or still uh, me paying the bills you know myself paying putting money in the company uh to 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 pay all the expenses uh up to the moment that now that we 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 see that we are ready to sell whatever company that we, we think we should sell. What about the profit share? Do you is the is this profit share equivalent to the equity that you own, or you settle an agreement with the entrepreneur uh, in different terms? Usually the same. You know, the, the, it is accordingly to to the shares that we have in the company. Usually, but sometimes, really depend on the company, we can ask for a preferred. Um, um, you know, shares, you know, the, the, the preference on, on the first distribution, uh, to pay one or one or other expenses that maybe in that company was over what, whatever we were expecting to, to, to spend. But usually I would say it goes with the, with the shares that we have. And Lucas, where do you see uh, mid stage ventures in, in five years time? Uh, what directions do you want to take? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a really tough question because. Even though we have our our aim, what we want to do, uh, we have to go with the flow as well. What I'm trying to say is that um, whenever you run a company like Midstage Ventures, uh, a venture builder or accelerator, you 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 are you know from time to time you, you get many opportunities, uh, different opportunities to to invest or maybe to pivot the company into this way or that way. So um, I would say, like, you know, fast answer, I would say that mid-stage ventures uh, will have probably, I don't know, maybe uh, 50, 60 companies, different companies keep doing the same business model, uh, keep growing uh, in number of companies, number of revenue, number of employees, number of uh, entrepreneurs, uh, up to the moment that uh, will be... A uh, full operation in Europe, Brazil, and the U.S. as well. Um, so that's that's you know the fast answer. But then, if you analyze, you can see mid-stage ventures as well uh, with a second arm, you know, as a, a VC, you know, second arm and like a sidecar investment, you know, uh, where we keep doing whatever we are doing as mid-stage ventures, but also we can have our VC to invest, follow-on investments on those companies that we've 
created and 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 built so far. Uh, but also we can see Midsage Ventures as a international uh, landing pad for international companies. So I would say also that's a third possibility to create kind of a spin-off from Midsage Ventures and 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 call it that a Midsage international landing pad. Uh, where we can help uh, international companies, not necessarily from Brazil or any any country that Midsage has any relation, but you know maybe helping those international companies to to go either to to Brazil or to the U.S. So it's 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 an open future, even though we have our 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 business plan and and strategy really aligned and 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 set. You know, you have a lot of work to do, that's for sure. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Uh, and uh, so before we jump to the firebolt round, um, I always like to ask the entrepreneurs uh, I'm fortunate enough to interview, what was the biggest mistake you made in your business? I know that, you know, everybody makes a lot of mistakes, but what was the biggest that you that you might recall? Well, many, right? Uh, maybe the biggest mistake was um, to trust in people that I wasn't supposed to trust. I would say that's the biggest one that, that really kind of hurt mid-stage ventures for a while. Okay, so let's jump to the firebolt round now. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, let's, let's go. Do <laughs> let's do it. So what's your favorite business book? Well, I, I don't think people know it, but they should know it. It's called uh, Berkonomics. <laughs> Berkonomics. Yes. Uh, it's a guy called Dave Berkus. Uh-huh. And um, Dave, and his last name is Berkus, B-E-R-K-U-S. Um, he's a super angel investor here from LA and he has three or four books and he has this series called Berkonomics and mm -hmm. it is really, really, really awesome. So basically he gives small, uh, tips, but all the tips they give, all the, you know, all the articles that he writes, they are examples of something that has happened to him you know, in a business perspective. All right. That's awesome. I will link it to the show notes. Uh, what's your favorite online tool? Well, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it, it, it might sound stupid, but, but silly, but I would say WhatsApp. <laughs> All right. You know, that's, because, no, that's not so silly. It's a, it's a great tool. I mean, it's a great tool. Yeah. No, but because I mean, usually people use WhatsApp to, 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 you know, to share pictures and then to, to, you know, just to, to, to do stupidity, you know, uh, but we really use WhatsApp as a business tool because, uh, person, personally, I don't, I don't like Slack, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've tried to use different ways of communication and the best one so far, the best one is, is uh, WhatsApp. And, but also we cannot rely only on WhatsApp, of course, but I mean, we use Podio as well as a really good, um, um, uh, collaboration product. tool, right? Collaboration tool. Yeah, and product management as well tool. So, but I would say really WhatsApp for me is it's it's the one that I use. I don't know, maybe five hundred times a day. So <laughs> I think that's a good metric. You know, that's a good that's a good metric to see to say which one's the best one. I would say the one that I use most. I, so we, that you know, uh, we have to call Zuckerberg to charge you a little bit more. Then you are <laughs> overusing it, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> All right, awesome. Uh, what's your favorite entrepreneurial or motivational quote? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I, I knew you were going to ask me this, and um, I was trying to find some of you know quotes that I that sometimes I just 
uh, snapshot. And there is one that I that I do like from the the Hoffman guy from from LinkedIn, LinkedIn, which says uh, something like um, entrepreneurship is like um, jumping off a cliff mm-hmm. and building an airplane while falling. So it's it, it's kind of you know you are on the cliff and I know will I be entrepreneur? Yeah. So you just jump <laughs> off and then while you're falling and then you have to figure out how to build whatever is gonna save you. You know, like an airplane or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's a good one. Um, Love that one. Uh, it's first time we we have that uh, that quote. Somebody successful you admire and follow? I would say Dave Burkus. Yeah, he has a really nice story, and that may be uh, his biggest mistake. If I mean, if he was the one being interviewed, I think he would say his biggest biggest mistake was uh, back in I don't know early two thousands. Uh, um, his uh, friend of his called him and said, "Okay, Dave, um, there is this company, like really small company from Seattle, and then they are looking for investment. Uh, they have only seven employees, and then I don't know if people will like it, but anyways, it's a nice company. I work here for this company. Would you invest in this company?" And he said, "You know what? I'm, I live here in LA. Um, Seattle is kind of too far for me. Um, I don't want. I don't want to invest in this company in Seattle, even though it looks nice. I don't want to invest in this company." Mm-hmm. Anyways. Years forward, that company was Amazon, and <laughs> yeah, and uh, they were asking for one hundred thousand dollars at the time. And if they were, if he invested, if he had invested one hundred thousand dollars back in two thousand, he would have made, I think, six thousand times the money or something like this. Wow, you know, I mean. I, I would say that was his biggest mistake, but that's a nice story. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna contact him to see if he wants to come on the show. It would be it'd yeah. Be I mean, I'm sure it will be a great show because he's awesome. I met yeah. him the other day here in LA. He's right. really he's really nice. That's awesome. And um, another difficult question right here. It's knowing what you know now, and if you wanted or had to start a new business today, what would you do? Um, I would have done it earlier. <laughs> the same thing, but earlier. Yeah, you know, if I were, uh, I don't know, because, um, okay, answering another way, I would have uh, relied, let's say, my gut feeling earlier um, to do whatever I was, I was willing to do, and and then that's particularly a particularly a personal uh, thing because when I when I was, I remember when I was five year old, I used to go to my parents' beach house. Uh, instead of instead of playing with the kids, I would go to the, the you know to the front gate on on the yard, and I would sell lemonade um, <laughs> for people. And then I try when I was 15, I I, well, I I bought a dog with a purpose to be an investment as well. So uh, really, I bought the dog like oh it's kind of cheap dog. <laughs> I want to buy the dog and then I want to sell the dog and make some money. And then after when I was I don't know 15, 18. I had the chance to uh, to create one or two different companies, like working with computers, those kind of things. Anyways, I, I think was my you know my my childhood and my you know when I was young telling me that I wanted to do um, entrepreneurial things, but I was somehow uh, following a family um, a family path, which was the legal side. I don't. I don't complain. I mean, the, the legal side really helped me to do a lot of things. But if I were to 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 had followed my my gut feeling uh, to you know to tackle you know endeavors like entrepreneurial endeavors uh, when I was eighteen, nineteen, or twenty, 
uh, I think that that would have, I don't know, maybe would be better for me. So I, I, I would be happier, you know, I would have been you know, more happier even even before because that's what I that's what I like. That's to what do. you love, right? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. I, I, can, I can relate to that myself. And I think a lot of listeners can can relate to that, that sometimes you you, you study something because, you know, your family tells you so or suggests you so. And you know that's probably not right for you, but you still do it. Uh, anyway, yeah. it's a pity. Um, so uh, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I mean, I guess the same thing, right? Like, start yeah, now. Do it. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just answer that. And uh, Lucas, so the last question is, how can our listeners connect with you? What's the best way? Uh, well, I'm pretty, pretty open. Um, you know, the website's mid, midstage.com.br, BR as Brazil, right? B, B as a boy, R as a, as a, I don't know. Rice, as rice. Rice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so midstage.com.br. Uh, my email is lucas, L-U-C-A-S, at midstage.com.br. Some... And my LinkedIn is Lucas Juris, um, Facebook as well, Lucas Juris. So, um, yeah, I think those are the best ways of communication. Uh, the best one would be WhatsApp, but then whoever <laughs> sends me the email and then I can, I can, I can communicate uh, over WhatsApp as that's, well. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, Lucas, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a huge, huge, huge pleasure. Oh, that's my pleasure. Um, thanks for inviting me. And then the last thing that I just wanted to, to mention is about uh, Venture in LA that I, I, I mentioned briefly before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Venture in LA is a, um, it's an event for startup companies here in LA, which happens between the 14th and 18th of, of uh, November. And this year will be the third edition for one week trade mission uh, with a lot of um, activities, a lot of good investors, a lot of, um, you know, VCs, uh, speakers. Uh, so whoever um, is willing to, you know, to fly over L.A., to fly to, to L.A. And, and, and see what his ecosystem looks like here in L.A. and see L.A. as the first you know, landing pad to the US or maybe to Asia as well, let's say, uh, try to, to Google Venture in LA. Ven- awesome. The website is ventureinla.com. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. It's perfect really nice. domain. Yeah. yeah, I interviewed a couple. You are the third entrepreneur uh, based in LA I interviewed. So I'm going to, I'm going to send an, send an email to the other two uh, if they are interested. And I will definitely uh, link this to the show notes. All right, Lucas, once again, thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you. My pleasure. Bye bye. All right, thank you. And that's it for today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Lucas Judis. The show notes are available at risinggrindpodcast.com for slash episode 42. If you love the show, please do not forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Of course, feel free to send me an email or leave a comment on the website. Also, follow us for a lot of visual inspiration on Instagram and Twitter at HQ. In case you missed last episode, episode 41, we had another great one, and it was with Max Tucker from Book in a Box. In the next episode, we're going to have another amazing guest. It's the legend John Lee Dumas, one of the most famous podcasters in the world. Until next episode... Keep grinding.